All right. The message is entitled, What About Angels? Now, our first teaching, as you know, was in the series of What About, was What About the Bible? And there we provided evidence of the inerrancy and infallibility of God's Word, and that everything that is found in the Bible can be trusted because it's God's revelation about Himself, sin, salvation, whatever the subject may be, and God is all-knowing, and he cannot lie. And we gave you manuscript evidence and all of that kind of stuff. So that every subject that we will address will be what the Bible reveals as absolute truth, not human opinion. Sadly, too many people, both secular and Christian, get their erroneous theology from movies, television, fictional books, whether they be secular or Christian, and liberal theologians, and not the Bible. Often I've heard people say, well, the Bible says this, why the Bible, and they're completely wrong. It's something somebody has told them, and they just keep repeating it, but they never bother to check it out. And so we want to look at what the Bible says about angels by asking three questions. First, what about the origin of angels? Second, what about the nature of angels? And thirdly, what about the various classes of angels? So we begin with what about the origin of angels? Angels are not eternal. They had a beginning. The angels were created by God. In Psalm 33:6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Light be, earth be, heavens be, angels be. <laughs> now, I have to go down Home Depot and buy materials if I'm going to build something. I wish I could just speak them into existence. It'd be cheaper and faster. But none of us have that potential. The angels had to have been created before the creation of the heavens and the earth. According to Psalm 148, 2 and 5, it says... Um, Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. So in other words, they were there at the time of creation. Okay? The angels are included as part of God's creation. In Nehemiah 9.6, he says, You alone are the Lord Yahweh. You have made heaven the heavens of heavens, with all their hosts. We're going to see that the word host speaks about angels in Scripture at times. The number of angels is mind-blowing, innumerable. Daniel says in Daniel 7.10, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his the head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels as burning fires. The fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. And thousands, thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Millions of millions. If you do the math. Amazing. Jesus put it this way. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father? 
and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels. That's in Matthew 26, 53. That's in response to his arrest, remember? A legion, a Roman legion at the time of Augustus was 6,100 foot soldiers and 726 horsemen. Twelve legions would have been 81,912 angels. Now, you know what one angel did in the Old Testament, right? With frontline Assyrian troops, he went out and killed, I believe, 250,000 in one night. Just one. What would he have done with 81,912 angels? <laughs> the author to the Hebrews calls them innumerable company. Murias, meaning 10,000 times 10,000, which would be 100 million, in other words, without number. Hebrews 12, 22. Paul says to the Colossians, For by him all things were created, speaking of Jesus, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, and principalities, and powers, all things were created through him and for him. They're invisible. And their thrones, dominions, and powers, those are rankings of angels. Angels are mentioned numerous times in the scripture, as you know. The word angel simply means messenger or an envoy, a representative, both in Hebrew, malak, uh, mal and the Greek, angelos, or achelos. Now, the word appears... 285 times in the singular and plural from Genesis to Revelation. In the Old Testament, 94 times are in the singular and 13 times in the plural. In the New Testament, 79 times are plural and 99 times singular. That's a whole bunch of scriptures regarding angels. The two books that contain the word angel in both Old and New Testament, more than any other book of both Old and New, is in the Old Testament is the book of Judges, 22 times in the singular. That should be no surprise since angels do God's bidding to help man. The book of Judges is the record of anarchy and bondage, as you know, as men call on Yahweh to deliver them, and he did, and then they would go back to bondage. And so the book of Judges has the most numerable accounts of angels. In the New Testament, it is the book of Revelation. Might be surprising to you, but it shouldn't be. 53 times in the singular, 23 times in the plural. This again is appropriate being that it's the unveiling of Christ, the glorified Messiah, who's worshipped by angels. Chapter 4 and 5, the throne of God. The book of Revelation records the wrath of God poured out on the earth from the throne of God by angels from chapter 6 to chapter 19. I mentioned that the word host is also used for angels. The word appears many times in the Old Testament for angels. The one in command of the angels is the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven. This phrase appears in the Old Testament with great frequency. The Lord, the captain, the Lord of hosts, or the captain of the armies of heaven. The book that contains the phrase the most numerous are the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, 
For it was the captain of the armies of heaven who was fighting against them in those two prophets as he was calling them to repent from their wayward abandonment of Yahweh into idolatry. In Jeremiah, the phrase, the Lord of hosts, appears six times, but the Lord of hosts, 50 times. So, it it, it deals with the one who is in control of the angelic armies, the one who is the commander, the one who has never lost a battle, the one who is the great general, no one can even think of defeating him. He knows everything. He cannot learn anything. He has all power. He's everywhere at the same time. How can you defeat someone like that? You can't. Powerful. Five times in the Bible, angels are called sons of God. Genesis 6, 2 and 4. Job 1, 6. Job 2.1 and Job 38.7, sons of God. There's a special title, the angel of the Lord, which is found many times in the Old Testament, but it is a reference to the pre-incarnation of Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord, capital A, is found 50 times And the angel of the Lord with a small a, which probably is not indicated for Jesus Christ, found 13 times. But it's a key title for the pre-incarnate state of Jesus Christ's appearance in the Old Testament prior to the New Testament. John says um, in the beginning of his gospel, John 1, 1 through 3, he says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was the beginning, in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So angels had a beginning. They are included in the creation of God at one point in time. God never created anything because he was lonely. God never created anything because he needed to fill some void. He lives outside of man's time domain. He needs nothing. He doesn't, uh, he can't learn anything. Uh, We can't even understand to be in that state whatsoever. And so this is what the Bible teaches about the origin of angels. Second question is what about the nature of angels? Angels are not glorified men but distinct from man in Matthew twenty-two thirty, Jesus said they are immortal for in the resurrection they um, man neither, they or man neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like the angels of God in heaven not made for marriage and so They don't need to propagate. They don't need, that's not their option. They're spirit beings that we're going to see. So they're distinct from us, okay? Um, They are immortal, completely. Um, The book of Hebrews says this, For he has not put the world to come in which we speak 
in subjection to angels in Hebrews 2.5. But he put the world in subjection to man. He gave Adam and Eve the earth. He put them in the garden. He made the world for them. He's quoting there Psalm chapter 8, verse 4 through 6. Hebrews again says in chapter 2, verse 7, man was made a little lower than the angels. Okay? And again, he's quoting Psalm 8, 4 through 6 there. Now, little lower than the angels, distinct from the angels. Angels are more powerful than us, but they're not like us. They're separate and distinct from us. Hebrews 12, 22-23 says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. Innumerable company of angels, distinct from the firstborn registered in heaven, men and women who are born again. Distinct completely. Now angels also are said to be spirit beings. Angels have no physical bodies or form like us. Psalm 104 says, Who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. Yet, they are described with certain physical features at times, such as wings, feet, faces, etc. So that we can perceive exactly what God says about them. The author to the Hebrews quoting this same psalm, Psalm 104, adds this, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And Hebrews 1.14 quotes this. So in other words, the angels God created have as their responsibility to do God's bidding in the service of God and man. They just serve God and they run errands for God and they are sent by God when he wants to communicate something to men sometimes. We see this through scripture. We'll go through some of those verses. Angels appeared to Jacob, as you know, in a dream at Bethel when he had fled from his brother um, Esau. Genesis 28, 12 says, Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So he saw this vision, this dream, up and down. As God sends angels to do their, his bidding, the psalmist declares, Bless the Lord, all you his host, angels, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Psalm 103, 21. Satan tempted Jesus to cast himself from the pinnacle of the temple by misquoting the scriptures about angels. Satan said to Jesus, For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. You find this in Luke 4.10, quoting Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. He misquoted. Listen to me carefully. 
Everything and anything in any time Satan has spoken, speaks, or will speak, it's always a lie. Always a lie. He's the father of lies. Jesus said he has never spoken the truth or will. Always a lie. I have the power to give them to whoever I will. Liar. If the first three were false, why would I make that one true? He lies. When you as a parent know that your child is lying to you, and you're looking at him and you're asking him questions, and he affirms and stands on his lie, if you just look at him like this, and say nothing. Does that make what he said true? Because you didn't respond. That's a bigger rebuke. Silence. We both know it's a lie. <laughs> There's no sense talking about it. Satan's a liar. Jesus responded. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Luke 4.12 Angels then served Jesus, as you know, after the four temptations. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Not before, but after. The 40 days and after the major temptations. Angels, though they have no physical bodies, often appear to men in bodily forms at will. In Genesis 18 and 19, as you know, angels appeared to Abraham and then to Lot at Sodom and Gomorrah. By the way, the angels that appeared to Abraham, one of them was Jesus. The other two were angels. That was a pre-incarnation of Jesus Christ, as he promised them that Sarah will have a son the following year. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamped all around those who fear him and delivers them. Zechariah 4.1 says, Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who was wakened out of his sleep. You remember the visions that Zechariah had. Crazy things. Um, I think he was taking acid or something. But, um, but from God. And angels directed and guided him and everything else. Matthew puts it this way in Matthew one twenty. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your, as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. An angel, the angel Gabriel did that bidding, remember. The book of Hebrews says, some have entertained angels unawares. Hebrews 13.2. Now, I've never seen an angel that I know of. I've never had any suspicions that I have. And what's interesting, I had a question today on the internet um, about angels too, because uh, uh, sometimes people in congregations, um, uh, they say, well, you know, I, I saw an angel next to the pastor and I see this. And you get this hyper-Pentecostalism 
a quasi little thing or God told me to tell you to give me a thousand dollars or God told me to tell you you're going to marry me and all this super Pentecostal stuff that is just carnal and fleshly. Listen, I'm not saying that an angel cannot appear. I'm just saying if you're seeing angels all the time, maybe we need to sit on and talk. Okay? So you have to be careful because people do this kind of stuff to, to exalt themselves above you, to make you think that they're more spiritual than you. Paul the Apostle rebukes them in Colossians 2, 18 and 19, saying they, do, they see nothing, it's all fleshly, and they're puffed up. And he says, saying that they saw angels. Interesting. Angels are not to be worshipped. Exodus 20, verse 3 through 5, the first table of the Ten Commandments says, You shall not have, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves carved images or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children to the third and the fourth generation to those who hate me. He's correlating those who hate him, worship him by idols. They represent things in heaven. No one's ever been in heaven. How do we know? We're not to make anything in heaven, right? God is a spirit too. He doesn't have a body. So what are you going to liken him to? He has the prophets, the false prophets. What are you going to liken me to? What are you going to put on me? you going to put some eyeballs on me? Put a couple of ears? A couple of hands? Interesting. Paul warns the Colossians again, that I just mentioned in verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking the light in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by the fleshly mind. The vineyard movement through late John Wimber were into a lot of this stuff. They would say they could see auras around people and angels and, you know, demons wrapping around you. And Be careful of all this junk, okay? It goes hand in hand with deliverance ministries that are so popular today, okay? No Christian can be demon-possessed. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. What you need to do is quit walking in the flesh. You don't have the demon of gluttony. You're just a pig. You don't have a demon of, of, of lust. You're just depraved and corrupt. Stop it if you're a Christian. Walk in the spirit. Quit feeding your flesh. John puts it this way, and I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am a fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy, Revelation 19.10. John starts where he says, Don't get up. You get me in trouble. Don't, don't worship me. Angels are a company of God's creation. Not a race. They are innumerable as we've seen. And Micah says, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing 
on his right hand and his left hand. Second Chronicles 18, 18. Once again, just there occupy in the throne of God and in heaven and they do the bidding of God. Jesus said, angels rejoice over the salvation of man. Luke 15, 10. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Wow. Jesus again said angels will be witnesses to the denial of sinners to enter heaven. Uh, Luke twelve nine. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. They'll be witnesses to that judgment. Jesus said angels neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor do they die. Again, Luke 20, 24 through 26. They don't need reproduction, and they will not cease to exist. They don't die physically like you and I, because they have no physical body, they're spirit beings. When you die, your spirit will live eternally in heaven or in hell. You get to choose where. Your body will go back to the grave. Jesus said angels will regather the Jews at the end of the tribulation. Listen. And when he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the fourth, farthest part of the earth, of the farthest part of heavens, Mark 13, 27. God will use angels to regather that remnant at the end of the Jews. The appearance of every angel, listen carefully, is always in the masculine form, never in the feminine. There's a Gabriel, but no Gabriella. There's a Michael, but not a Michelle. Okay? Masculine, every time. Genesis to Revelation. I don't know what women's live going to do about that. They're going to storm the gates of heaven or something. The angels of God cannot be saved or redeemed because they're not created in the image and likeness of God. Hebrews 2.16 Now, angels are greater than man in knowledge, but they're not omniscient. They don't know everything. The woman who came before David to plead for Absalom, remember, in 2 Samuel 14, 20, said um, to David, To bring about this change of affairs, your servant Joab has done this thing. But my Lord is wise, according to the wisdom of the angels of God, to know everything that is in the earth. So once again, they know more than we do. But God is the one who directs and guides them, but they're not all-knowing. Gabriel came to give Daniel understanding about the 70-week prophecy, if you remember. Daniel 9.23, at the beginning of your supplication and command went out. I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So God gave to Gabriel the words the prophecy, and the understanding to give that to Daniel. Paul charged Timothy before angels in 1 Timothy 
5.21. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and to the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality before the angels of God. Witnesses. Now, Peter tells us the angels intently stoop down to see the next thing that God's going to do to his church. And the word that he uses, they, you know, it's like you're looking at you. It's just because they're not all-knowing. And when they see the church things or people unfold, they must go, what is that dummy doing? Why is he doing that? But they don't know the future. Okay? And they're seeing things unfold. Listen, First Peter 1.12. To them... It was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, that were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through these who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things that angels desired to look into. They're seeing it unfold. They're not all-knowing. Angels are stronger than man, but not omnipotent. They're not all powerful like God because they're created beings. Second Kings 19.35 says, And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians uh, 185,000. So I'm corrected. I, I said 250 in the beginning. 185,000. And when uh, people uh, arose early in the morning, there were the corpse of all dead. One angel. Bad dudes. Psalm 103.20 Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Daniel 3.28 Nebuchadnezzar said the following, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. The angel delivered them from the fire. Peter and others were delivered from prison by an angel, as you know. But at night, an angel... Of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out in Acts 5.19. Peter later was delivered again in Acts 5.19 and 12.7. It says, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he shook Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Peter thought it was kind of a dream, and then he realized that it was an angel, and he had delivered him. He went to the house of John Mark, knocked on the door, right? And Rhoda and the whole church is praying for them, right? And Rhoda goes to the door, opens the door. It's Peter. He closes the door. He goes back in. That's Peter. He said, ah, oh, it's just his angel. They're praying for him to be delivered. He shows up, and they say, oh, it's just his angel. Which I don't know what they're talking about there anyway. But they're praying without faith, and God delivered him anyway. Wow. Interesting. Aren't you glad that God can do sovereignty as he wills, whether people pray or not pray? And yet at the same time, there's some things God will not do apart from prayer. 
So what we do is pray, and we let God decide. He's in control. Acts 12.23 says, Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, and because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. Interesting. Angels involved again. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 7, Paul tells them, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus revealed from heaven with his angels. Second coming to execute righteous judgment. Second Peter 2.11, Peter says, Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a railing accusation against them before the Lord. False teachers. The angels are greater to an extent. Yet they're under the directions of God. Billy Graham shares in his book, Angels, Angels, about some missionaries that were going to be killed one night by the natives and they were aware of this so they were praying fervently to be delivered that night and when the natives um, approached the house they were in awe of the giants guarding the house but the people praying didn't know that until years later when the leader got saved and they asked them about that night and they told the missionaries who were the giants that were guarding your house that night God is great angels do his bidding so this is what uh, the Bible teaches about the nature of angels third and last is what about the various classes of angels. First, there are regular angels. The good angels serve God and are faithful and loyal to Him, and the bad angels are Satan's and they're faithful and loyal to Him. The division of bad and good angels came at the fall or rebellion of Satan, which we'll look at in another study of its own so we can look at it more in depth. Satan's rebellion is recorded for us in two books. Isaiah 14, verse 12 through 14, and Ezekiel 28, verse 11 through 18. Satan led one-third of the angels in rebellion. His tail drew that third of the angelic hosts from heaven. Revelation 12, 4 gives us that amount, that number. The bad angels of darkness that are bound fall into two categories. Those permanently bound in chains in a place called Tartarus, not Tartar sauce, but Tartarus, for leaving their proper domain or first estate. Second Peter 2, 4 in Jude, verse 6 tells us this. They are permanently bound. They will never be let loose. That's how vile they are. Then there are those who are temporarily bound in the bottomless pit to be loose during the Great Tribulation, Revelation 9, 2, 
and verse 14. So, good and bad, permanently bound, temporarily bound. The bad angels of darkness that are loose also fall into two categories. Those demons that seem to possess people, unbelievers, never believers. And demons are just fallen angels. But they need to possess human bodies. We're not told why. We're just told that they do. The other ones are evil spirits that influence people. They are fallen angels also. In scripture, they cause at times dumbness, deafness, sickness, as we read in the Gospels. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody who's deaf or blind or dumb, and dumb from the tongue, not the brain, um, doesn't mean that they're possessed. Okay, so you have to be careful, all right? But when the gospel tells us that that person was deaf because of a demon, then we can believe and know that that was the cause and the reason for that malady. But it doesn't mean that we cannot conclude that every person who has a malady of such is demon-possessed. Is that clear? Very important, okay? Now, his kingdom is described as the kingdom of wicked spirits, Satan's kingdom. Ephesians 6.12. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and minions of darkness. Wickedness. John tells us that many spirits have gone out into the world, the cosmos, the world system, in 1 John 4.1. There are subdivisions in both good and bad angels. You get this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, and the one I just quoted in Ephesians 6, 12. Principalities, first, which means first ones, preeminent ones, leaders. Second is powers. It means authorities and spirits, Satan's demons in the lower atmosphere of the heavens. Third is rulers of darkness, refers to bad angels influencing world rulers, Mussolini, Hitler, Mao, many like that, rocket man in Korea, all right, wicked spirits, the spirit forces, pernicious spirits, Corrupt, vile spirits. We might look at these as privates, corporals, lance corporals, sergeants, staff, sergeants, sergeant majors, etc., etc. Different rankings. But they all fall into the evil category. But then on the good category, you have the same. Because remember, Satan was in heaven, right? So he only duplicates what he learned and saw in heaven, but on the bad side. Okay? So the context will tell you whether principalities, powers, dominions, and darkness, whether they're good angels or bad angels. In the book of Ephesians, in the first chapter, you have the good ones. In chapter 6, you have the bad ones. Okay? So you can see the context. Now, there are cherubim. The first time cherubim appear is in the Garden of Eden. Listen to what it says. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword, which 
turn every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Genesis 3.24. The word cherubim in its root is uncertain, but it's believed to mean to cover or to guard. And their first appearance would certainly give credence to this meaning as they're placed there to guard the tree of life. We also see them guarding the throne of God on the right and the left hand. Psalm 80 says the following, verse 1. Give ear, O shepherds of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. The singular is the word cherub. The plural is cherubim. Anytime you have a Hebrew word ending in an I-M, it is plural, like S in our English. We'll see this with seraphim and Sarah, singular, and seraphim, plural. The cherubim also appear in the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, remember. Exodus 25, 19 through 20 says, Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it, one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above covering the mercy seat and their wings, and they shall face one another. The face of the cherubim shall be towards the mercy seat. So this is the mercy seat. One's right here, one's right here. They're looking towards each other. The wings cross here, over here. They once again seem to be guarding the place of God's throne where he would meet the high priest once a year on the day of atonement there over the mercy seat associated with God's justice. Exodus twenty-five, twenty-two, the mercy seat. Cherubim were placed on the curtains of the tabernacle also, if you were with us in our study of Exodus. In um, Exodus 26, 1, it says, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven linen and blue and purple and scarlet threads with artistic designs of cherubim. You shall weave them. Cherubim were also found on the veil of the tabernacle to divide the holy place from the holy of holies. Exodus 26, 31 says, You shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. Cherubim were placed in the temple of Solomon after the pattern given to him. The two-winged cherubs were seen in the tabernacle, the mercy seat. Exodus 25:19. one wing of the cherubim was five feet. The other wing of the cherubim was five, I'm sorry, five cubits. Five cubits and then ten cubits from the tip to tip. Five cubits is seven and a half feet. Ten cubits is 15 feet. Wing to tip to tip. That's a big angel. You find it also in 1 Kings 6:24. Now cherubim also have four wings and are described in the vision of Ezekiel. So cherubim are described with two wings and four wings. The four wings are here in Ezekiel 1, 5 through 6. It says, Also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures. This is the vision of the throne of God. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, 
Each one had four faces and each one had four wings. So cherubim have two wings or four wings. Okay? They had the face of a lion, the face of a man, the face of an ox, the face of eagle. Thus were their faces, their wings stretched out upward, two wings of each one touched one another, and two covered their bodies. Ezekiel 1, 11. Ezekiel 1, 23 says, And under the firmament of their wings spread out straight, one towards another, each one had two which covered one side, and each one had two which covered the other side of the body. Ezekiel 10.20. You go from chapter 1, he gives the vision, then he confirms it in chapter 10, what he saw. This is the living creature I saw under the God of Israel by the river Chebar, and I knew they were cherubim. When we move to Ezekiel 28.14, where we get the fall of Satan, it says, Lucifer's called a cherub. Listen, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I establish you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. Number two to God. High privilege. He led rebellion against God. Wow. Not only cherubim, but there are seraphim. This class of angel is found only in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 6, 1 and 2 says, <clears throat> In the years that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. Now these ones have six wings. With two they covered their face, two they covered their feet, and two they flew. Seraphim are an order of angels that have six wings. The two cover their face, two their feet, two they fly. Recognizing the holiness of God. Again, the I am is plural. Seraph, singular. Seraphim, plural. Their name means Burning ones. That's what the word means. Burning ones. Isaiah 6, 3 and 4. Heard and saw with an understanding the worship of God of these seraphims. He says, And one cried to another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Captain of the armies of heaven. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house would fill with smoke. Holy, holy, holy. The seraphim seemed to be related to the worship of God and his holiness, repeating three times here. Throughout the scriptures we read, holy, holy, holy. Never holy, holy, two times. Never holy, 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 four times but three times when the angels are saying it. The pattern, without doubt, 
has to be related to the Trinity of the Godhead three times. The seraphim declare that the entire earth is filled of his glory notice. The vision seen by Isaiah, the prophet that we just read, and the angelic host is interpreted for us by John, the beloved, in John 12, 41, as he tells us that Isaiah saw Jesus. And he quotes verse 5 directly of Isaiah 6. That what Isaiah saw is that he saw Jesus. The New New Testament interprets the Old, not the reverse, okay? It's progressive in Revelation. The New Testament is the fulfillment. The New interprets the Old, always. Now, Isaiah 6, 6 through 7, the vision um, consecrated Isaiah's life here. And the mediator used to purify Isaiah's unclean lips, it was a seraph who dwelt in the presence of the holy God. The seraph flew and took the live coal with tongues from the altar of God in heaven. The tabernacle, remember, was a pattern of the throne of God in heaven. So when you look at the tabernacle, that's a pattern of the altar in heaven. If you look at Revelation chapter 4 and 5, if you look at that, you'll see the altar down in the tabernacle. God told Moses, make sure you make it exactly after the pattern I give you because of the shadow and type of the things in heaven. The incense altar stood before the veil of the Holy of Holies in Exodus 30, verse 7. John saw that it represented the prayers of the saints in Revelation 5, 8. So cherubim, seraphim, Then there are archangels. The term appears twice in the Bible. When the Lord returns for his saints, in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The voice of the archangel. Doesn't tell us which one. It just says, Archangel. When the body of Moses was being disputed over, Jude verse 9 says, Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Michael is the only one who's called an archangel. We don't know anybody else. There may be, but we know only Michael is called an archangel. The term archangel means chief of angels. Michael has his own angels under his own command. Listen to Revelation twelve seven, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. So archangels up there. Michael is called the prince of the people of Israel, the chief and great prince. He's the defender of Israel. Daniel 10, 13, 21, and chapter 12, verse 1. 
Many believe perhaps Gabriel is also an archangel, but it's never stated. He is portrayed as the angel of good news, the angel with the big mouth. He's always sharing good news. Daniel said in Daniel 8, 16, And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Euli, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Again, Daniel tells in Daniel 9, 21, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused, um, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. In Luke 1.19, Gabriel was sent to Zacharias regarding the birth of John the Baptist, as you know. And it says, And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Good news. Gabriel was also sent to Mary, as you know, the cousin of Elizabeth. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, Luke 1, 26. So Gabriel shares good news all the time. Some even believe that perhaps at one time Lucifer was an archangel. And so they suppose that maybe the three archangels correspond to the Trinity. Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Lucifer comes from light, shining. The word in Spanish, luz, is light. That's the root. Okay? Same thing. But again, that's just speculation. All we can do is what we know. Michael's the only one called an archangel. Gabriel's the big mouth. He gives the good news. Okay? Michael has his own angelic force behind him, and he is a defender of Israel. Paul said to the men on the ship, if you remember in Acts 27, 23 and 24, when that storm and everything, he says, For there stood by me this night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So God used angels in the Old Testament. He used angels in the New Testament. And I believe God uses angels today. I've never seen one. I've never been uh, cognizant that the one talking to me was an angel. I never have. But I'm sure God does use them because the book of Hebrews tells us that, okay? But once again, be careful of those who are always seeing angels. Because, you know, Santana sees angels all the time when he does concerts, you know what I mean? He worships angels. That's an occult, okay? Now, Paul already told us not to worship angels, right? The angel told John, hey, don't worship me. Get me in trouble. Worship God. And so, as we search the scriptures, then we can be sure what God says about angels. What they are. What their function is. The categories. 
And so this is what the Bible teaches about the various classes of angels. It's interesting. See, all this stuff that we've looked at, there is no way we could ever know and be certain that it's true unless God revealed it to us. It's the only way we know that. And so we can be absolutely sure regarding these three biblical truths about angels. The origin of angels, the nature of angels, and the various classes of angels. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, your goodness. We love you. We thank you for your word. And Father, that we can go to it with confidence and walk away certain and edified and encouraged that we can give answers to people with full confidence of the uh, truthfulness of it, Lord. Lord, teach us to just abide in your word and to not speak apart from your word, Lord. But the Lord, your word would be brought to our minds by your spirit when we need it. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the internet. If you don't know Jesus Christ, then you can repent right where you're at. Jesus is God who became man, died for your sins, and rose from the dead. And that rising from the dead, he guaranteed the forgiveness of your sins, the payment of those sins, that he can forgive you and make you whiter than snow and give to you eternal life. But you get to choose whether you believe God what he says or whether you don't. If you believe him, then you're exercising biblical faith. You believe the revelation of God and you can call upon what he said you can call upon. And if you see yourself as a sinner, it's a miracle of God. And you can repent and ask him to forgive you right now. This is your prayer of repentance. If you don't know him, he will cleanse you. He'll make you a son or daughter by grace through faith right now. This is your prayer. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.